So I was thinking this week some about how we all have exceptional days in our lives. It's an exceptional day for some of you. You're here. (laughs) Some of you came kicking and screaming. Come on, just go. It's Easter, please, honey. (laughs) We're glad you're here. We really are. I was thinking about how we all have exceptional days in our lives, important, memorable, treasured days like weddings and graduations and certain anniversaries, the decadal anniversary parties. Not the decadent, the decadal. Thank you. On those exceptional days, uh, we tend to do exceptional things, don't we? We wear exceptional clothes. I know. Go ahead, say it. I don't look good. I make this stuff look good. You know this. Come on. You got it, you got it. What you got to do? We wear exceptional clothes. We tend to have exceptional kinds of ceremonies on those days, and we allow ourselves to think and feel exceptional things. I mean, think about a graduation, for example, as one of those exceptional days, a day on which we or someone we love graduates from some level of education or training of some sort, what are some of the things we do? We wear exceptional clothes. When else do you get to wear a gown and a hat with a square piece of cardboard on the top? Only a graduation. We have an exceptional ceremony. And by exceptional, I mean out of the norm. Exceptional often means incredible and amazing. But I've been to some really boring graduations. Have you? Can we talk? I mean, where do they get these graduation speakers? Haven't you just wanted to shoot some of them just to get them to stop? But we have these exceptional ceremonies. But on those days, we, uh, we also allow ourselves to think and feel certain things on a graduation that we otherwise wouldn't, about the promise and potential of the graduate and all the great things they'll do and the amazing things that they'll see. Well, Easter is truly an exceptional day for us, isn't it? Hello? It's an exceptional day. It's a day that's an exception. It's different than the other days. And so what do we do? We wear exceptional clothes. We sing our exceptional songs. And later, many of you will gather together with your families and you will eat exceptional food. True? I always find it interesting that we have, tend to have ham on Easter. Is that just sort of uh, in your face to the Jews, or what? <laughs> I mean, not all of you know that Jews aren't allowed to eat pork. And on Easter, we not only say, we got Jesus, we say, we got ham. <laughs> so I just don't think it's very nice, but we tend to do it. But what really is so exceptional about this day that we call Easter. What's exceptional is that Jesus did something exceptional. He rose from the dead. I mean, people don't do that. And he proved himself to be the exception. He rose from the dead. People don't rise from the dead. But Jesus did. And he became the definitive exception to the rule. He gave us hints of this by raising a couple of people from the dead himself while he was here. The widow's son, and then, of course, Lazarus, the guy after whom my last truck was named. 
because it was raised from the dead so many times. And so Jesus gave us hints about this resurrection thing by raising certain people from the dead. But this resurrection of Jesus was substantially different even from those. For one thing, there was no human agent involved. I mean, Jesus as the God-man was the agent through which the Father expressed his power, if you read John 11, to raise Lazarus from the dead. There was no human agent for Jesus. The father reached into the tomb and massaged the heart of his son back to life. The father did that without an intermediary. And that makes his resurrection exceptional. But what truly makes his resurrection exceptional is that he was raised to eternal life. He was raised to live forever. I mean, it's probably a reasonable assumption that Lazarus died at some point, raised from the dead, but I'm pretty sure that if he was still around, he'd be talking about it. But Jesus was different. The Father raised him from the dead to eternal life. And so today is a different day. Today is an exceptional day. And it's a day that causes the angels to rejoice. Can you imagine that? The rejoicing among the angels of heaven to see the people of God around the planet celebrating the resurrection. It's a day that makes the angels rejoice. And it's a day that makes the demons tremble. You know, the Bible says that even the demons believe in God. Of course. But today is a day where believers around the planet release an exceptional kind of faith and worship to God. And it causes them to tremble, to shudder with fear. And today, then, is the exceptional day of your deliverance. The the demons are on their heels today because Jesus rose from the dead. It's a day that brings the church of Jesus Christ to life. Easter is like the paddles of a heart defibrillator. Clear! Thump! And the heart of the church just comes alive again. There are four different accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. And they each seem to emphasize something a little bit different. They carry, of course, the same theme and the same general flow of facts, but they seem to find different points of emphasis. If you have a Bible in Matthew chapter 27, it starts in verse 62, Matthew chapter 27, it starts in verse 62 by saying the next day, the next day after Jesus had been laying in the tomb, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate, sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, they were calling Jesus the deceiver. I don't think you want to do that. I don't think that can go anywhere good. He said, but while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. 
It's interesting to me that it seems like these chief priests knew more about the plan of Jesus than his own disciples did. Then this last deception, it says, will be worse than the first. See, their religion was being threatened. I mean, if this thing, if this thing happened, if Jesus disappeared somehow from the tomb, their religion was threatened. Verse 65, take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. There you go. <laughs> Knock yourself out. We can guard ourselves against God as securely as we know how. But when he's coming in, he's coming in. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone. There you go. Pour a bunch of wax over it. That'll keep God out. And posting the guard. Big, tough, burly Roman guys with sticks. Verse 28, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. It didn't appear that the human resistance was much problem for God. Verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. This greetings is the familiar shalom. It's a kind of word that means peace, but it means hello. It's kind of like, what's up? That's what Jesus did. I mean, that's just Jesus, isn't it? I mean, he's shocking them. (laughs) Hey. I know you get pictures of the Jesus like, you know, all gaunt and serious, but I love his sense of humor. Hey, what's up? And they came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Check out this little postscript here in verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. An angel of the Lord came and moved the stone and we shook and became like dead men. Verse 12, look at their response. Seems like that would be a good time to believe, wouldn't it? They're so steeped in the prejudice of their own religion. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. Money fixes everything, doesn't it? Telling them, you are to say his disciple. His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. This in spite of the fact that they had sealed it the best they could and guarded it with the toughest guards available, his disciples. This elite group of highly organized men. Have you been reading the Bible thing? Tell him that he came in the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. 
So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. It's amazing how a lie will last when it's properly supported. This is the climax of the story of Jesus, his resurrection. Can you imagine reading this gospel through for the first time, having never heard anything about it before, and getting to this spot? I mean, for us, it's kind of lost some of its original luster, hasn't it? Because we've gone over it and over it and over it. Can you imagine? You know, the people were involved with in India, one of their strategies that's been so effective in, in leading people to Jesus in the remote villages of India is they go in and throughout the day they share a gospel presentation with this town, many of whom have never heard the gospel of Jesus. And I've been in the towns, these remote towns with them, and seen this. And then at night they draw a number of villages together and they have a generator and they show the Jesus film, an Indian version of the Jesus film, the life of Jesus. And, and literally, this is the first time they've seen it, when it gets to the part, guys, when, when they crucify Jesus, people in the crowd call out, no, no, what has he done? And then when he gets to the resurrection, they cheer for the hero who comes back. Can you imagine what it would be like to just see this for the first time? It would have an impact. Perhaps it's kind of lost our way in that impact, but what does the resurrection mean? I, I think it means so many different things. We could talk about it all day, but I think it means that Jesus always keeps his word. Jesus said a lot of exceptional things while he was here, didn't he? He made some pretty big promises. And it shows that he keeps his word. Three times in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer at the hands of sinful men. I'm going to die. But three times, he told his disciples, on the third day, I will rise. And it shows that he keeps his word. That would have been a real mind-blowing thing for them to hear. But in reality, the resurrection tells us again, listen, beloved, Jesus always keeps his word. What is his word to you? What has his word been to you? What are the promises the Holy Spirit has brought to you from the heart of God? God always keeps his word. And the resurrection shows that. I think the resurrection shows us that it means that Jesus has the power and the authority to rescue us. He's got the might. He's got the stuff that it takes to save us and make a way to heaven for us. He has the power to rescue us from the captivity of Satan. He has this power. In the church we say that Jesus is mighty to save. He offers to save us and the resurrection shows us that he has the power to pull it off. You have to have the power to back up a statement like, and I'll save you for all eternity. I mean, when someone comes to rescue you from your captor, you want to be sure that they have the big gun before you decide to follow them out, right? You want to be sure that they're tougher than your captor. You want to be sure that it's going to be a successful escape. And Jesus came, and in the resurrection, he demonstrated that he has the power and that he has the authority to fulfill this promise to save us. And when Jesus rose from the dead to live again for all eternity, he settled that nagging question that's in all of our hearts, is there really life after death? Am I really just on this planet for a little while and I'm just sort of an advanced organism? Am I really just a 
Am I really just a bundle of nerves responding to stimuli? Or is it true what the Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men, that there's something eternal about us, that there is something consciously eternal about us that is going to be somewhere forever? And Jesus settled that question by fully dying and then fully raising from the dead. He said, yes, there's life after death. But in doing this, he showed us he has the power and the authority to rescue us. He's got it. I mean, what is it that Satan would have over us beyond death? What is it that Satan could threaten you with beyond death? So that when you're you're part of Christ, you can look back and say, Jesus has this for me. Jesus has this. He has my death covered. He has my resurrection covered. And I think, finally, it means that uh, Jesus can introduce us into a whole new fascinating reality. I mean, Jesus rising from the dead and being alive after he was dead and hanging out with his disciples and showing him the things that he showed them demonstrates to us that Jesus wants to introduce us to a fascinating new reality in the present, that there is a whole spiritual dimension that is not discerned by the mind, that is not seen with the physical eyes, but that Jesus wants to invite us into it. And that's what he says, when, means when he says, I've come to give you life. I mean, when Jesus was here, he said all these audacious things to his disciples, like, yeah, go ahead and heal the sick and go ahead and set the blind so they can see and go ahead and cleanse the lepers. You know, now that a few of us in this room know some lepers, now that a few of us in this room have been to the leper colony in Bargur, India, and we know the names of some lepers, that whole business of Jesus cleansing these lepers takes on a whole new fascinating reality. We know these lepers who live in virtual concentration camps, not allowed to mingle with society because of their leprosy. All they have is one another. And a few believers who come in every now and then and show them the grace of God. That's all they have. And for Jesus to cleanse the lepers and say, now go show yourself to the priest so you can go back into society takes on a whole new different kind of significance. But Jesus did all these things and he told his disciples also to do them. And what he was saying is, now I want you to go and experience this same dimension. That there's a whole spiritual reality waiting to be experienced by us and the resurrection of Jesus is part of his way of saying, now walk with me in the resurrection, in the living Christ. Is that making sense? Because I can begin again. But it's a pretty radical paradigm shift. It's a pretty radical shift when you start believing that there are things happening in this room that can't be discerned with the mind or seen with the eye, but you know that it's the very reality that Jesus is inviting you into. One of the resurrection stories in Luke, when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, he was walking with a couple of disciples, unnamed disciples. He just talked with them, and they didn't recognize him at first. And as he talked, he started to show this new reality to them, so that after he left, they were like... Weren't our hearts burning inside of us as he spoke? 
And God has a stirring for our hearts. There's another dimension of us waiting to be alive in the here and now by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is a whole new fascinating reality. So Easter is truly an exceptional day. While angels rejoicing and demons are trembling, I just have this question for you. The question is, so what stirring is Jesus developing inside of you today? What's going on? be ashamed to just come here and listen to the music and listen to the tall, bald guy speak for a few minutes and listen to a little more music and go home and eat ham and miss the encounter with God that he's planned for you on this resurrection day. What stirring is going on on the inside of you? You get to decide You get to discern that and decide what it is. But some of you are experiencing this stirring inside of you that you find difficult to explain. There's something going on inside of you today that says, I want to respond to God. I want to respond to this stirring. It's real. And for some of you, it's likely to be a stirring to be saved to give your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord so that you can be changed from death to life, changed from condemnation to eternal life. And some of you are at that place in your life where you're feeling this stirring inside of you and you're you're persuaded that there is a life after this and you're persuaded that the message of the gospel is true, that we are sinners and we're not ready to go on to the next life until we ask Jesus Christ to come in. And make pardon for all of our sins. And take up residence as our Lord and Savior. And some of you are here today and you're stirred in that way. And you're a little surprised by it. Maybe some of you are the ones who came kicking and screaming. And you're a little surprised. That inside of you is suddenly a desire to be right with God. And you say, I can't go another day without becoming right with God. And that stirring inside of you is not your salvation. That stirring inside of you is the invitation for you to respond so that you can be saved. It is not enough to come to church and to sense the stirring and go, I'm being stirred. Jesus stirred a lot of people while he was here, and few responded. And if he's stirring you, then that is not your salvation. That's the invitation to respond to God, to come and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart as your Savior and as your Lord to take up residence so that you can be saved. The clear teaching of the Bible is this, is that there is a heaven and that there is a hell and that a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, the one who ascended to the Father, a personal relationship with him is the only Thing that makes the difference. Only thing. And so some of you have that stirring today. You say, today I want to respond to Jesus as my Savior. I want to ask Jesus Christ to come in. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Others of you are having another stirring. You're saying, I want to experience a deeper measure of of this reality that you're talking about, this resurrection reality with God. I want to experience that. I I want to move into that. You're saying, no, I have asked Jesus to be my Savior. I have asked that authentically. I have trusted in Jesus 
for my salvation, but I am not experiencing the dimensions of the Holy Spirit and the move of God in a satisfying way. And that stirring inside of you is God calling you. That is not the experience. It is the call of God to come and enter into deeper levels of the experience. And you also want to respond to that. Don't settle for the stirring. Don't settle for the emotional aspect of it, but move into this glorious spiritual realm that Jesus has set up for us here on this earth. So what we're going to do today is in just a moment, we're going to have prayer ministry people come. They're going to stand way off in the corners over here. And who these people are, in case you don't know, these are people who are part of this church who have given themselves to some training about how to pray for people when they come. And you can come to them, and they can really pray about anything that is in your mind to pray for. If you walked up to them and said, I want, I want to be saved. Today I want to become a Christian, as that guy said. They will know what to do. They will know how to pray with you and give you a Bible and get you started in your walk with Jesus. They will know what to do. If you're a person today who says, I want to experience greater measures of, of the Spirit of God, these people will know what to do. If you're a person who says, I need prayer for my marriage, I need prayer for my body, I need prayer for my job, I need prayer for my anxiety, I need prayer for my depression, I need prayer for my addictions, whatever it is, these people will know how to pray for you. And so I just encourage you that as we just continue to worship God and respond to him, that if there's a stirring in your heart, that you would allow your feet to move and come up to some of these people who are just going to be waiting waiting to pray with you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we rejoice in the glorious celebration of the resurrection. We look to you as the one who died for us on Friday and rose for us on Sunday. We look to you as the one who fully gave all of your life blood to be spilt for us so that that blood continues to speak in our defense and for our healing. And Father, we look to you as the one who who gave your son Jesus for this very purpose. And we look to you, Father, as the one who did reach inside of that tomb and cause your son to come to life, demonstrating that everything he said was true. And so, Father, in the context of this time together as believers, as seekers, as people in a lot of different places of relationship with you, I pray that the Holy Spirit will come and that you'll speak to every person who needs to come to you to be saved. You'll speak to them and you'll call them, Father, to cause their hearts to move as an act of intention and receiving Jesus into their lives. I pray, Father, for those who are are ready for deeper measures of the Holy Spirit and moving in the things of God. And I pray that you'll come in power and you'll meet them at their place of need and, and desire and at their place of readiness. And Father, I thank you for this church and I thank you that you are a powerful miracle-working God. And so now we turn this time over to you and we ask you to work in us in Jesus' name. Amen.